I'm sure that many of you know the name Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle was one of the most heralded baseball players of the 20th century. And in fact, when he played for the New York Yankees, many fans and sports writers predicted that he would be the best to ever play the game. And certainly he had that potential. He was identified as a very young man with someone who had amazing um, athleticism, uh, almost magical gifts on the field. And yet in the long run, I think even Mantle himself would have admitted that he didn't live up to that potential. Because you see, this the second year in the big leagues, due to the stress and the pressure that he felt to perform, Mantle began to self-medicate with alcohol and quickly slid into full-blown alcoholism. He was an addict. Incredibly, he was able to keep this to himself. He was a very private person. And so he hid it from fellow players, from his coaches, and so he suffered many years alone with this. But finally, when he was 63 years old, Mantle was able to state publicly that he was an alcoholic and seek treatment. Unfortunately, it was too late. Uh, he died just a few months later of cancer of the liver leaving many people in that time shaking their heads and asking, what got into him? What, what got into him with all that promise? Why would he act that way? We ask that a lot, don't we? We hear stories like that and we ask, what, what gets into people? Well, today, we might say, Stress and pressure leading to tremendous anxiety and then an unhealthy attempt to cope which led onward into addiction. But in Jesus' day, when folks asked what gets into people, an answer commonly offered was, he has a demon. He has a demon. In that pre-scientific time, when a person acted in a way that was strange, when a person had spiritual, emotional, mental trouble, when a person engaged in self-destructive behavior, that was often the explanation given, he has a demon. And friends, I believe that's what's going on in our text this morning. A man who I think today would most likely be diagnosed with mental illness is identified by Mark as having a demon an unclean spirit. Now, friends, I know that this is a text that makes us uncomfortable. Well, let's, let's think carefully about it. You heard it read. Jesus is in Capernaum, and it's the Sabbath day. He's in the synagogue teaching, and he is teaching with authority, not like the scribes, so the people are amazed. Well then, in the middle of this teaching, this poor man comes in. This man shouting at the top of his lungs. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
Then Jesus draws near and heals him, and they're all amazed. They keep on asking each other, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He even commands the unclean spirits to leave, and they, they obey him, and then word spreads about him throughout the region. Friends, what are we to make of this? This story, it just sounds so strange to our modern ears, does it not? And, well, and if we're honest about it, it, it sounds a little frightening, too. It's just easy to take this text and sort of move it over into the weird Bible stories category and leave it there, right? But we can't do that. No, we can't do that because we have to address the entirety of the biblical text. That's our responsibility as Christian people. And beyond that, there's an important lesson to be learned here. So friends, don't be afraid of this text. There's nothing to be afraid of. Because you see, this text is not about demons, it's about Jesus. Let me say that again. This text is not about demons, it's about Jesus. And the point here is that Jesus has the power to heal. Jesus has the power to heal. When we have mental, emotional, spiritual trouble, Jesus has the power to heal. And thanks be to God for that. Because mental, emotional, and spiritual trouble is very, very common. Perhaps more common than we would like to admit. And yet, I think we all know deep down that it is possible to look fine on the outside and need radical healing underneath, right? It is very possible to look okay on the outside and underneath be suffering with depression, with anxiety, with unresolved grief, with low self-esteem. You know, years ago, the advice columnist Ann Landers, who in her heyday, received thousands upon thousands of letters a week, was asked, what's the number one question that you receive in the mail? And she said, the number one question I'm asked, the most frequent question that comes to me is, what's wrong with me? That just hurts my heart every time. What's wrong with me? Millions and millions of people walk around all the time asking, what is wrong with me? Underneath, they feel unworthy. They feel strange. They feel like they don't fit in. They feel like there's something wrong. And you know, there was, a, there was a book, a very popular book that touched on this some years ago, and I bet you remember it. It's by Thomas Harris, and it's called I'm Okay, You're Okay. Y'all remember I'm Okay, You're Okay? It's a really, really popular book. In that book, Harris observed that all of us have scripts inside of our heads. And these scripts are made up of words that are said to us by parents, authority figures, caregivers. Some of those scripts are I'm okay scripts, but many of them are I'm not okay scripts, words that pull us down, that do damage, that diminish us, and then somehow those words make it all the way to our heart and they make an imprint there that affects us for the rest of our lives. You know, when I uh, 
was serving at another church, I, I knew a man, a wonderful man, who spent the bulk of his life dealing with a script like that, an I'm not okay script, and it was written by his father. All the years he was growing up, his dad told him again and again that he was careless and unintelligent. Friends, I'm using kinder words than his father used, but you get my drift. Careless and unintelligent. He remembered things like being a, a five-year-old little boy out in the garage with his dad trying to help his father work on the car. He just wanted love and acceptance from his dad so bad. His father asked him to, to hand him a particular kind of wrench. Now, this is a five-year-old who's never been taught about different kinds of wrenches. He handed his father the wrong tool, and his dad threw it at him and unleashed a torrent of verbal abuse and name-calling. The same sort of thing would happen if he spilled his milk at the dining room table. This dramatically affected the way this man felt about himself. He grew up, he married, he had a family, he had a wonderful career, and underneath it all, he felt terrible about himself. He felt unworthy of love. He told me that at one point he really felt like an imposter in his own life. An imposter. He thought if people really knew how careless and unintelligent he was underneath, they wouldn't like him. Healing only came when this man joined a small group at our church, and that small group made him feel so safe that he was able to be vulnerable and tell the truth about his childhood, about that I'm not okay script. They prayed for his healing, and they urged him to do the same. And they also surrounded him with such love that ultimately he came to believe that he was a child of God, a person of sacred worth, that he did belong, that he did have a place, that he was accepted, that he was acceptable and loved. Friends, I believe with my whole heart that the power of Jesus' healing worked through those prayers and through those people to heal that man. When we are experiencing mental, emotional, spiritual trouble, Jesus does have the power to heal. Our friends, listen to me. Hear me out. I am not telling you to throw away your medication or stop seeing your therapist. Jesus is called the great physician, but the physicians of today follow in his footsteps. There is nothing unfaithful with seeking out medical treatment, therapy, 12-step support groups, whatever you need when you were hurting like that. After all, where does medical treatment, good therapy, come from? It comes from God. It comes from God. So there's nothing unfaithful about this. And friends, one of the most damaging things that religious people do 
is to tell people who are hurting mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that if they seek medical treatment, if they seek therapy, if they join 12-step support, that they are somehow being unfaithful or sinful, and people do it. I once knew a woman who had lost her husband of over 50 years to death. They had been very close, and she was plunged into grief when he died. She became more and more despondent and began to have suicidal thoughts. She began to think she needed to see her doctor. She confided this in a Christian friend. And do you know what her friend said to her? Her friend said that she couldn't be a real Christian because if you're a real Christian, God gives you joy when someone dies, and it's selfish to grieve over someone like that because they've gone to heaven. Friends, I was horrified that anyone would heap that kind of guilt upon a grieving person. Likewise, in my last appointment, a gentleman from the neighborhood came to see me. He was not a member of my church, but he came to me to seek a sort of second spiritual opinion he suffered from chronic anxiety and addiction. And his own pastor told him that if he sought out medical treatment and entered 12-step, that would mean that sin ruled his life. My friends, this stuff is hogwash. It's hogwash. There is nothing unfaithful about seeking medical treatment, therapy, or joining support groups when we are hurting. When we are suffering mentally, emotionally, spiritually, the faithful thing to do is to draw close to Christ as we can, to open ourselves through spiritual practices to Jesus' powerful healing love, and also to seek out the treatment and support that we need because, you see, Jesus' healing power is at work in all of those ways. And finally, friends, I want to say a word this morning about the role of the church in all of this. I want you to know that if you are hurting in this way, if you're suffering mentally, emotionally, spiritually, the church is a safe place to be because we are a hospital, not a country club. And church is where it's okay to not be okay. I'm going to say that again. Church is the place where it's okay to not be okay. Unfortunately, friends, for centuries, there has been so much bias and prejudice and judgment around mental illness, around addiction, around these spiritual, emotional, mental issues. And many people, even today, feel stigmatized, feel ostracized, feel judged. Church should be an alternative to that. No one who is suffering like that should feel labeled, pointed out, picked on, pushed aside, or told to just snap out of it. We as a church can't be a part of that. 
We, as the body of Christ, are called to be those who walk alongside them and act as channels of that healing power of Jesus and support people and offer them the help that they need. Look at our text this morning. When this man, screaming at the top of his lungs, in a mental health crisis, comes into the synagogue, does Jesus have the ushers escort him out? No, he draws near and heals him. As the body of Christ, we are called to be those who walk alongside those who are hurting, who offer them a safe place to be. The church is to be the place where it's okay to not be okay. And I especially wanted to talk to you about this today because there are a lot of people hurting right now. There are a lot of people suffering mentally, emotionally, spiritually right now. The CDC is tracking an exponential rise in suicide attempts, substance abuse, and mental health crises due to COVID-19, to the pandemic, and the way that has dramatically affected the way we live. So many people are feeling isolated. So many people are dealing with things they thought they had put behind them a long time ago that have bubbled back up to the surface because of all of the stress and the tension and the fear. If you're one of them, if you are hurting, that is nothing to be ashamed of. That's just human. If you have people in your family system or among your friends who are struggling like that. Again, there is nothing for them to be ashamed of. That's just human. They deserve love and support and prayer in any way we can offer it, and you do too. So I want you to know that Alamo Heights United Methodist Church is very serious about supporting people who are struggling in this way. We believe as the body of Christ, that's our privilege and our responsibility, in fact. And so this morning, I, I want to offer you some very concrete resources. We're going to put these up on the screens for you. First of all, if you have questions about mental illness, if you're struggling yourself, you have somebody in your life who is, I highly recommend that you contact Ed and Jackie Dickey. They lead our family mental health support group here at the church. They are a wonderful resource. You can see their email right there. Second, if you are struggling with addiction or recovery, you have questions, you need support, we have a dedicated director of recovery ministries in this church. It's that important to us. His name is Chris Estes. Here is his email up on the screen. Contact Chris. He'll be sure to help any way he can. If neither one of these resources work for you, don't hesitate to reach out to one of our pastors. You can reach us through our website, ahumc.org. We will do everything in our power to help you, to resource you. We can offer you spiritual direction. We can offer you a Stephen minister and explain to you how those things work. We all have a big Rolodex of referrals that we can make to professionals in our community. We are committed to try to help because, my friends, 
Mental, emotional, and spiritual trouble is common. Addiction is common. And right now, a lot of people are struggling. If that's you, if that's somebody in your life, know the church is here. We know that Jesus has the power to heal. We are committed to joining with him in that work, to love and support everyone who is suffering If you are hurting, my friends, take this away with you today. There is hope. There is hope. Will you pray with me? Most loving God, we give you thanks. For you do have the power to heal through your love, and you work through the people in this world, Lord, to offer that care. Lord, if we are hurting or we know someone who is, give us the courage to reach out for help. And if we see someone who is hurting, Lord, fill us with the courage to reach out with a hand of love and care. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.